created some positive affirmations that I repeated on a daily basis. One of them I still use regularly now, which is my mind, body, soul and immune system are healthy, fit and strong. And each day in every way they become, they become healthier, fitter and stronger. And that's, that's a mantra that I use not so much every day now, but it's certainly several times a week. That is the voice of my guest, Adrian Potter. Adrian is a two-time cancer survivor based in the United Kingdom, and she joins us with that lovely British accent from her home in Boodley, Worcestershire. Adrian is a retired sports therapist who now runs her own home business as a hypnotherapist, hypno-coach, and life coach, working one-on-one and in group and corporate settings. Adrian is going to share with us her cancer journey, the steps she took to take charge of her body and her health. There is a ton of resourceful information shared from books to read, the type of diets that Adrian followed, and supplementation. Adrian also shares with us about her hypnotherapy sessions, and we talk a little bit about her business services. Knowing Me, Knowing You is about connection from all walks of life, coming together as a community, learning about others and their life experiences, and gathering much information and knowledge share from all that is shared. Adrian's website is a clickable link in the show notes. So without any further hesitation, let's meet Adrian Potter. Who am I? If you'd have asked me that a few years ago, I'd have said that I am Adrian and I'm a mum and a wife. Now I am me. I'm Adrienne, the individual. I'm a hypno coach, a health and wellness uh, advocate, married with a son and three stepsons, and enjoying life and all about health and wellness. Yeah, because you have faced some personal health challenges in your life. I'd love you to share more about these health challenges. Yeah, well, I guess they started really back in 2013, lose track of time. So 2013, I'd lost three three friends to breast cancer, left my husband of 15 years. I'd met somebody else. We'd been together about five months and I found a lump, but it wasn't always there. It seemed to disappear and reappear. And eventually I went and got it checked out and it turned out that I'd got a lump in my right breast and a two-inch spread of DCIS, which is a, a pre, um, pre-cancerous spread of, of cells, basically. And I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, which came as a bit of a shock at the time. I'd lost my dad to cancer, so I was very much aware of the history of cancer within the family. And I just... It threw me into turmoil. I think I was angry more than anything because what it was doing was taking away from me a life that seemed to be perfection at the time. Business was going well, relationship was going well, life was good. Um, And then all of a sudden I was faced with this cancer that meant that I was having mastectomy and reconstruction. It meant that I was having chemotherapy. Um, So the, the impact that it was having on everybody around me as well. It was just a bolt from the blue, really. I think I started to step into victim mode without really realising what was going on at the time. 
so uh, yeah it was challenging <laughs> yeah yeah i i can imagine that because your life has turned upside down with this health diagnosis and you're not really sure which way it's going to to go because cancer as we know is a very serious disease a, a short while ago i mean you were diagnosed with secondary cancer diagnoses right now, is this common in women for breast cancer? My understanding is there's about six in ten that are diagnosed with secondaries. Um, mm. And sometimes it's a metastatic, which means that it's gone beyond the original tissue. Uh, sometimes it might be that it reappears in, in the other breast. Um, not everybody catches it as early as I did. I was mm. very lucky in that I found an enlarged lymph node in my neck and because it was on my right side, which was the same size that the breast cancer had been on, it, to me, there was something that just wasn't quite sat right. Um, so I did something about it straight away. But I've got another friend who, she'd had breast cancer 18 months prior and was getting a lot of problems around her neck and shoulder and around the sternum area and was told that she'd got costochondritis, which is a, a muscular problem. I think it took them about six to eight months to for them to diagnose the fact that she'd got a secondary cancer. And by that point, it was too late because she'd got a fracture in her neck where the, the tumour was, was very virulent and, and very um, progressive. And she is really very unwell with it. Um, mm. So it can present in so many different ways. Um, but it, it is reasonably common, unfortunately. You're the second person I've come across that's had the same thing. So I thought this must be quite common diagnoses. During that time and, and during this time, how have you found your emotional state and your mindset to be? Very different to first time round. So first time round was very much anger because of what was taken away from me. Um, second time round was very much determination that this is my life, this is my time. I was 48 when I was re-diagnosed last year and having lost my dad at the age of 55 to cancer, I was of the opinion that actually I have too much living to do to have my te life taken away from me at such a short age, at such a young age rather. You know, I've got a 21-year-old son who I intend to see walk down the, down the aisle. You know, if he has children, I intend to hold his children and, you know, hold my grandchildren. I have desires to travel the world with my husband and go on adventures and enjoy life. So it was very much a case of determination and uh, sheer pig-headedness, I think, that I wasn't going anywhere this time. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, with the second diagnosis, you, you, had all, you were already on a journey of health and wellness, paying attention to your body's needs, doing as much homework as you could around breast cancer and connecting with supporting groups. So what decisions did you make toward body's health? I think after the initial shock and reality had sunk in, um, I started researching an alkaline diet because a friend of mine had told me that 
cancer cannot live in an alkaline environment. So my initial instinct was, well, I need to do an alkaline diet. In researching the alkaline diet, I came across a book by a lady called Jane McClelland called How to Starve Cancer. So I ordered that, started reading that, went on her Facebook group and started reading what people were doing in there. And that kind of led from one bit of research to another, to be honest with you. I was put on immunosuppressants by the oncologist because I was very much in denial of the fact that I'd got cancer because when they did the scan, it was a case of the CT scan showed nothing, the MRI scan showed nothing, but the bloods were shown that there was something there. So they sent me for a PET scan, which is the one where they inject you with radioactive um, glucose serum. And then they put you through the scanner machine and your body lights up areas where it's shown that there's something sinister going on. And the consultant had said, well, it could be cancer, it could be inflammation, or it could be infection. We don't know. Um, and there's no way of testing. It was only when the oncologist turned around and very bluntly told me that I'd got stage four secondaries, uh, that reality set in. I thought, right, OK, I, I need to do something about this. And having read Joe McClellan's book and the journey that she went on, understanding that three times now she has, I reluctantly say, cheated death. She took that control, but three times she should have died. And you look at her now and she just looks amazing. You wouldn't believe that she's been through what she's been through. And I thought, well, hang on, that's you know, 30 years that since she was first diagnosed and she looks amazing. If she can do it, how many other people are doing it? And a lot of people are taking supplements. So I started to research supplements. I started to research breathing techniques. I started to have a look at the impact of exercise that it had on the body, the right size sort of exercise for the body. Um, and I also looked into the blood type diet by uh, Dr. Peter Diadamo. So that was very interesting. And there was also Gerson therapy as well. So and there was the vegan diet as well. So I, when I first started, I literally, I threw everything at it. I stood there one day and said, what on earth am I supposed to eat? Because so I was literally just living on soup because I just, I didn't know what to eat. So having taken alcohol, caffeine, meat, refined sugars, um, certain fruits, bread, pasta and rice out of my diet, at one point I thought well I've got nothing left to eat <laughs> so I thought well, I need to rein this in now and start looking at it realistically um, and I started to invest more time in the blood type diet for that uh, Dr Peter Diadamo has created and I stuck to the vegan side of things apart from eggs because I love eggs and I was aware that I needed B12 while I was on the immunosuppressants and I found that that worked really well for me. That's what I've tended to stick to really for the last mm. 12 months. So that's been, I suppose, the foundations of, of what I've been doing from a food perspective. Something that I discovered that intrigued me was that if you do gentle exercise around 15 to 20 minutes after you've eaten, what it does is it pulls the sugar out of the blood. So again, you're not feeding the, any, any tumours or any, any uh, disease cells that are loitering around in the body. And that's very much what it was about. It was pulling that sugar away. It was pulling any inflammation out of the body um, and just starving these, 
these cells of, of any food. Interesting. The blood group diet was something that I introduced to myself <laughs> and uh, to my personal training clients when I used to personal train in South Africa. And it's something that really does make sense. And what you're talking about and what, what I'm hearing here as a retired uh, personal trainer and nutritional consultant as well is that the book that you read, How to Starve Cancer, is really also a nutritional guide on decreasing inflammation in the body, which we know is part and parcel with cancer. And cancer loves that environment where there is no oxygen and inflammation, right? And so this sounds like a book that anyone can actually read if they want to take charge of their health and wellness. What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting book to read because it's very much about Jane's journey. And she looks at integrative oncology as well as uh, traditional oncology. She also introduced a lot of supplements into her diet and into her life. The book is very much about discovering and understanding the pathways that have led to whatever cancer it is you're going through. Mm. There are two other books that um, I have paid a lot of attention to. One is The Metabolic Approach to Cancer, and the other one is Radical Remission. That one... I think it was possibly the most enlightening for me because what they're doing with radical remission is they're trying to understand why people survive cancer rather than why people die from cancer, which is what most research seems to be about. So it's a very positive approach to cancer rather than that, oh, woe is me. One of the biggest things that I took away from it is, yes, it's great having all of this information here, but you've got to learn to tailor it to yourself as the individual and do what's right for you because what you could do is become so focused and addicted to getting it right that you're at risk of creating further stress within the body mm -hmm. which is then going to contribute to the yeah. disease that's going on in there yeah. Um, so for me, whilst it was a great starting point, definitely radical remission and um, the metabolic approach to cancer have been a greater impact from a positive mindset perspective. Something you just brought up was stress. Yes. And so stress is a, con a contributor to much disease. So for yourself, having to make sure that you weren't increasing those stress levels with this diagnosis and obviously trying to get everything right. What did you do on a day-to-day -day basis to keep those stress levels low? I started journaling, something that I'd tried to do for about 12 months, but just couldn't get my head around. I think I was just trying to overcomplicate things. Um, I started listening to uh, meditation on YouTube. I found a great YouTube channel by a lady called Pura Rasa, who's just got such a calming voice. And she had meditations that were down for a cellular level. Mm -hmm. So I listened to those on a daily basis. Positive affirmations. I created some positive affirmations that I repeated on a daily basis. One of them I still use regularly now, which is my mind, body, soul, and immune system are healthy, fit, and strong. 
and each day in every way they begin they become healthier fitter and stronger and that's that's a mantra that I use not so much every day now but it's certainly several times a week I'll always repeat things a minimum of three times as well just to reinforce it nice um, I've got this thing about the number three you know everything's got to be to the power of three <laughs> Um, so yes the meditations also the exercise it made such a massive difference and it didn't need to be excessive exercise mm-hmm. it might have been that I'd get the hula hoop out and I'd just stand in front of the tv and I'd hula hoop for half an hour it might be that I've got a vibro plate I'd go and stand on the vibro plate for 15 minutes and just switch off while I was on the vibro plate mm. or um I bought a a feet-up yoga stand, so I'd get the yoga stand out and do a little bit of yoga on there. Um, Or even just running up and down the stairs five or ten times. Mm -hmm. Just something to get the body moving, to get the oxygen flowing around the body and just Mm -hmm. clear the mind a little bit. Mm -hmm. Just surround myself with the right people as well. Yeah. What did you discover about the human spirit during this time? Because you've connected with a lot of people and that have had cancer have survived or are newly diagnosed? I'm discovering that I'm I'm a rarity amongst mm. the people that I know. Mm. Um, there are a couple of people who, since they've discovered what I've been through, that have reached out to me and they've asked for support, help and advice, which I've passed on any information that I've got, and they followed it to the T. And Mm -hmm. they said it's had such a positive impact on their life. However, there are so many others around me that have either been through cancer or are going through cancer now and that they are in such a place of fear that they honestly believe that the medics know what's best. Mm. And I'm afraid that being slightly politically incorrect, um, incorrect here, my belief in the, in the medical system has dropped somewhat because, unfortunately, there is too much bias towards the financial. Mm-hmm. I had an oncologist when I told him that I wanted to come off the immunosuppressants after three months because I felt that they weren't a benefit to me. He actually said to me, well, if you come off these immunosuppressants for any more than six weeks for any reason other than toxicity all funding for this medication and future medication will be withdrawn and I said but you've just told me that there is no evidence of cancer in my body so why do you feel it necessary for me to continue on something that's poisoning my body when I don't need it to which he responded well I'm just telling you the way that it is and unfortunately, that didn't do my belief in the medics uh, any favours, to be honest with you, which yeah. is why I've gone very much down the route of we have to look after ourselves. I do believe, obviously, having been involved in the wellness industry for a substantial amount of time like yourself, is it's really important as human beings that we do pay attention to our own well-being. And then we don't just rely on the medical system and think, well, if I get sick, I'll be okay. Yeah. It starts with you first and everything that you put in shows on the outside. And Absolutely. it's important that you take care of your, your health 
first and foremost, pay attention to what you're eating. Very much so. It's something that stuck in my mind when I went through cancer back in 2013 and I was went through the chemo. I asked about taking echinacea to support my immune system and drink mm. aloe vera gel. And I was told absolutely categorically not. So I didn't. I did everything by the book. And then I think having read Jane's book and seen how many people were on so many different supplements, I thought, mm, no, what they've said just doesn't sit well. Mm -hmm. So when I went to collect my immunosuppressants and was asked, are you on any supplements? I will openly admit I blatantly lied. I went, no, I'm not. But I was. I'd already started the supplements. I'd already started to support my immune system because I knew that the only way my body was going to heal was by supporting my immune system myself. Any other resources or anything that you could recommend to those that are interested in dietary changes to decrease inflammation in the body? Yeah, I mean, I the route that I took, um, very much the, the Dr. D'Adamo uh, was big for me, finding out my blood group. The process that I mentioned earlier on with a guy that got asthma, um, body and um, brain bargaining, I use that most days on me to find out what foods are right for me. So it is very much about discovering the right foods for your body. It might be that on the the, the right for your blood type that it might say that, I don't know, for argument's sake, that kidney beans are okay to eat as a blood type A, but actually when it comes to you eating them, they really don't suit you. And I think sometimes you have to strip everything back to bare basics and find out what does work for you. And I think blood type diet is very much a big one to look into. Vegan diet's great, but it's not right for everybody. Supplements, look into the supplements and find out which ones. There are certain supplements that you can't get in the UK. So I take high-dose melatonin, which I have to order in from the States because I can't get it here in the UK protects the body when you're going through radiation. It obviously also helps with sleep. It is It contributes towards anti-inflammatory within the body. I take arginine on a daily basis, um, shark liver oil, vitamin D, vitamin B12, probiotic, marine collagen, aloe vera, drinking gel. Mm. And I also take um, the doTERRA essential oils, you can take those internally. So there's a couple of those mm -hmm. that I take internally as well. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and those books, you know, Radical Remission and The Metabolic Approach to Cancer, very much so. Yeah. They're the only ones really that I followed because I find that it's very easy for me to go into a place of overwhelm. Yeah. So I just had to rein things back in and just find those, those few things that worked for me. Mm -hmm. And anyone that, that approaches me, I'll say, well, this is what I've done. These are the books that I've got. Take from it what you will and add in what you need to. But I think sometimes it's just having that start point of knowing where to yes. start, having that trust in yourself. Yeah. It's, it's decreasing the overwhelm. And like you say, having that first step of where do I go? Where can I start helping myself? You've started a ladies' breast cancer support group in your local area, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, a girl that I was at school with, Jo, um, she was diagnosed about 18 months or two years after me. 
And whilst we weren't friends at school, we, we knew each other and we reconnected after her diagnosis. And when I went through cancer, I didn't bother with any support groups. I didn't feel that I needed it because I've got a really good support network around me. Joe was very much very proactive in looking for support around here and realised that there wasn't anything at all. She'd been to a support group that was at the local hospital. Mm-hmm. I think the average age was about 70. Well, Joe's my age, you know, she was 45, 46 at the time. So she took the decision to set up her own group and she said, look, you know, would you be interested in, in being a part of it? So it was very much Joe's idea, very much Joe's baby, but I'm very much involved with it. So I'm vice chair of the group and her auntie's involved with it. And so is another friend that Joe made through the, the breast cancer group that she went to. And we're celebrating our fifth birthday next year. And there's now, I think, a little over 200 people in the group. So we're on Facebook, which is predominantly where it is, um, but there are coffee mornings. So there's a group of us, we all meet. And some people have this opinion that breast cancer groups or support groups are very much just about talking about cancer all the time. If you were to visit one of our breast cancer groups, you'd you realise that it really isn't about mm-hmm. that at all. Mm-hmm. It's very much about friendship, about support, about laughter. Uh, at the moment, we are in the process of putting together a calendar to raise funds for the breast cancer group as well. So the girls are at the moment going out on various locations. So we're very much about having fun. I advocate anybody to go and seek out support because we've all got a different story to bring to the table and the experience that one lady's having might be very different to the experience that another lady's having, but you've both got different perspectives that you can bring to the third lady that's being, that's going through the process at the moment. You know, and we've all got different snippets of information and different snippets of advice. So yeah, absolutely. I, I would recommend that anybody seek out support. Mm. You have been involved in the wellness industry for quite some time. I wonder if you can share a little more because you were involved from a, a, a sports side, right? You had a, some, yeah. a, a sports clinic. therapy. Yeah. 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 So I fell into that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, my son, I think he was four at the time and uh, no, he wasn't, he was two when I went back to college. I wanted to go back to work, but I didn't want to be employed. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd got a friend who was a massage therapist at the time and I'd literally just got my thumbs into the knots in her shoulders. She said, I don't know why you don't do this for a living. I went, oh, okay. Um, and off I toddled to the local college and said, can I enrol? And I enrolled in a two-year sports therapy course and um, qualified in 2005. Wasn't entirely sure where it was going to take me because there were so many different elements to the training. And I just fell into the sports massage side of things. And after a couple of years, I settled into it and just fell in love with it, fell in love with my clients. Uh, They'd walk in with one sort of pain and walk out with a different kind of pain. They nicknamed me Miss Sadistic and the Silent Missile. Um, (laughs) But what I didn't realise at the time was that working as a sports therapist, you actually become somebody's emotional therapist as well as their physical therapist. Um, And it was great. You know, I never had a bad day when I was doing that job. I worked 40 hours a week doing sports massage, but I could have just kept going. It was great. 
but um, unfortunately that came to a, a halt after the chemotherapy because I got to the stage where I struggled to do even four hours of massage because mm. so much damage had been caused by the meds that I was on. But it was just a physical impossibility. Um, and yeah. if I can't do a job properly, then I don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're a solution and clarity coach yeah. and you offer hypnotherapy, life coaching, hypno coaching, which I'm really interested in. Your website is adrianpotter.co.uk and those details I will share in the show notes. Can you share a little more about your choice of going into the life coaching? Because, I mean, you've just said the emotional therapy was part of your, um, <laughs> of the sports therapy, right? When I finished, when I retired from sports therapy, I tried a couple of other businesses, one of which was Nordic Walking Instructor, uh, which was quite a giggle, but just wasn't right for me. And then the opportunity came up to train as a hypnotherapist, which I, it had intrigued me for years. So, yeah, I, I, I did a weekend training, uh, taste a weekend, just fell in love with it, loved what it could give to people, but underestimated just how much it does give mm. um, and how rewarding it is. Um, so that was in 2019. I, I fully qualified in it. The doors were open and then uh, obviously... The dreaded sea hit and um, pandemic closed the doors to my business. So mm. I'd got a choice. I either sat and twiddled my thumbs for several months or I did something else. And I decided that life coaching was going to be the next step. I'd had a, a pathway, a six-day pathway course come through via Jay Shetty's uh, new coaching school. Loved the course for six days. And I thought, right, okay, we'll, we'll do this and see where this takes me as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so spent five months doing the life coaching, uh, which was 120 hours of study and practical work. At the time, I didn't think it was giving me as much emotionally as it actually did. Um, it led to a lot of self-reflection. It led to me learning a lot about myself, about my behaviour, about the words that I choose to use at times. I eventually saw that it worked very well with the hypnotherapy from the perspective of when I use hypnosis, I am very much about finding the solution. So with hypnotherapy, it's essentially temporarily turning off the conscious mind so that we can tap into the subconscious mind. There's a great Disney film called Inside Out. If you've ever seen it, it explains the subconscious mind beautifully. So when you're in that state of hypnosis, you're able to tap into the deeper parts of the subconscious mind. You don't go searching for the answers. The answers just present themselves. So what I soon found was that by using the same language that you use in life coaching to question somebody whilst they're in that state of hypnosis, we were beginning to find the solutions and help them to move forwards in life and doing a lot of timeline work, they were bringing forward memories that they seemed so insignificant at the time, but they were having a major impact on their present day life. Um, and I've just moved forward with that over the last 
those 12 months ago, I'd literally just qualified as my life co- with the life coaching as I got diagnosed yeah. with the secondary. So. Yeah. So what can someone expect in a hypnotherapy session with you? Uh, it depends on the reason they're coming to me for hypnosis. So I do past life regression because sometimes past life can impact what's going on in current life. Um, as I mentioned before, it's very much solution focused. So if I've got somebody that's coming to me with anxiety uh, related issues, I'll always start off with a 90 minute beat down consultation. So that's where the client gets the opportunity to just talk for an hour and a half. I'll listen. I can pick up on snippets of information and just get them to share where their head's at at that given time from a conscious mind perspective. And then when it comes to the hypnotherapy, you as a client are very much in control. And hypnosis is just a heightened state of relaxation. So it's almost like that dream state that we're in. And we enter it naturally several times a day. So that time between wake and sleep and sleep and wake, they're actually hypnosis. When you're driving along and you might zone out, again, you're in hypnosis and now, say you're watching the TV and you're aware that something's going on in the background, but you're not really focused on it. Essentially, it's that dream state again. So it's very much that's how you feel when you're in that state of hypnosis. I've got mm-hmm. a nice relaxing chair. You've got your eyes closed. You're aware of the noise that's going on around you, but you're awake um, at all times. There may be times where you feel like you're asleep, but actually at that point, you're just in a very, very deep state of hypnosis and you can pull yourself out naturally anytime you need to or want to as well Mm -hmm. i go into hypnosis mode when my husband talks to me (laughs) (laughs) i know that feeling it must be a common thing i'm sure with a lot of wives (laughs) 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 so i noticed that you have beautiful testimonials on your website and i'm interested to know why would someone want to work with you what you see is what you get um, with me. There is no fluff. I will say it as it is because I'm all about finding solutions. I work with honesty. Um, if I can't help you, then I will say, I don't think I can help you. You need to go elsewhere. I genuinely care about the people that I work with. I want you to turn around and say, I'm done. I don't need any more sessions. The sign of a a good therapist, whether it's a physical therapist or an emotional therapist, is somebody that loses a client because they fix them. And for me, it's it's more important to fix somebody and know that they go away with peace of mind and know that if they want to come back for a top-up somewhere along the line, they can do and know that they're not going to get stung. It's about quality of life. It's about enjoying life and being able to live without restrictions. Mm. So I love that. A word you brought up, honesty. Now, on your website, you have three words, honesty, patience, trust. What do these words mean to you, and why did you use those words? Honesty, because as well as being honest with me, you've got to be honest with yourself. Because if you're not honest with yourself, you can't move forward. You're consistently living a lie. Um, Trust, 
and patience, both in the process. You've got to trust in yourself. You've got to trust in the process. You've got to be patient with yourself. You've got to be patient with the process. Anything that is worth having is worth waiting for. So you've got to do it slowly. You've got to be surely. It's not about taking that massive leap of faith. It's about the stepping stones. And by taking the stepping stones, you're building on the foundations and building that strength as you go along and resilience. Yeah, I love those words. They they are um, very strong and powerful energy words as well. So you work not only one-on-one with people, but you also work with uh, corporations, am I correct? And you work with groups because I see you have some courses as well online where you can work in a group setting. Can you share a little more? Yeah, um, one of the um, one of my favourite ones, the group settings, is a positivity group course, and it's 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 a couple of hours long, and it's positive affirmations, minimum of five people. It's great if you've got ten. Um, everybody writes down ten positive affirmations about themselves, and they've got a list, a random list of other affirmations, and you have one person sat on chair in the middle. You've got a person in front, person behind, and one either side. And the person that's sat in front of you is reading your positive affirmations to you. And then the other three are reading the other random positive affirmations. And you do that for about five minutes. So you've just got this massive bombardment of positive affirmations going straight into the subconscious mind. And then when you've done that, you swap it around. So you do it so that the whole group has had that five-minute burst of, of their own personal affirmations as well as the other random positive affirmations. And then off the back of that, at the, at the end of that, I'll then do a short guided relaxation. So that's, that's a nice one to do. That's, that's a fun one to have. It gets a little bit noisy at times, but it's, it's a good one to do. It's easy for companies to lose sight of the well-being of their team. Well, if you pull somebody in like me to actually spend some time with your staff and find out what's going on, you can save so much more money and actually create a nicer working environment as well for the team. You offer a discovery call as well. So what is in that discovery call? That is an opportunity for you to get to speak to me and see if I am the right person for you. It's an opportunity for you to get the first layers off your chest and get a little bit of clarity and ascertain whether hypnotherapy, hypnocoaching or life coaching is the route that you want to go down. Because I don't think there's anything worse than paying for something and then discovering that it's not the right thing for you. I did used to offer a free initial consultation but I had to stop doing that because what I was finding was that by the end of the consultation, people were saying, actually, I don't think I need any sessions now. To a certain extent, is great, but what people don't seem to realise is that just an hour's consultation isn't finding a solution. Yeah. You're just getting it off your chest for that, that moment. If you want to create change within your life, then you've got to be prepared to make that commitment to yourself. Unfortunately, sometimes making that commitment is about making a financial commitment as well, because when you've made that financial commitment, you then follow it through because it means something to you because you've taken that step to do it. Mm. So, 
what advice would you give someone who is interested in any of the realms of work that you are involved in? Hypnotherapy, hypno-coaching, coaching. Do your research, um, whatever medium it may be, whether it's the hypnotherapy, whether it's the coaching, whether it's counselling, whatever it is, there are so many different schools out there. There are so many different ways of being taught and learning processes. Work out what works best for you and do your research from each of the schools. If there's an opportunity to do a free weekend or a free five, six day course, do that first and see if it's the right fit. Because none of these courses are cheap and the worst thing to do really is invest in them and discover it's not the right thing for you because you're only then going to end up resenting it and not getting out of it what potentially you should be able to do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. research, research, research. When you look at the journey that you have travelled so far in your life uh, with the challenges you faced, what advice would you give to a younger Adrian? Stop trying to please everybody else. Stop trying to be everybody's friend. Mm -hmm. Um, I was desperate to be liked all through my childhood and even up until about 10 years ago. I just wanted people to like me. And I think in, in doing that, I wasn't as authentic as I could be. And I'm very much about living a life of authenticity and integrity. Stop trying so hard and be kinder to yourself. Yeah. And when you say, you know, desper- desperately wanting to be liked, I think that is really the average human being. We all want to be liked and we all want to be accepted. I think until you know yourself and you like yourself and love yourself, you can't mm. actually expect others to like you either mm. because they don't understand you. If mm. you don't understand you, how can anybody <laughs> else understand you? <laughs> now, if I say the word community, yeah. what does this word mean to you? What comes to mind? Community to me is very much about surrounding yourself with the people who champion you, support you, and uplift you. Yeah, the the people that lift you up in life rather than the ones that drag you down, drain you, or as I like to refer to them as the neg ferrets. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have a fun question. Go on. What are you not very good at? What am I not very good at? Sometimes I'm not particularly spatially aware, not always the most patient, Mm. and I'm not always the most consistent. Mm -hmm. I'm not always great at practicing what I preach. Hey, (laughs) I tick all of those boxes. You're not alone, (laughs) Adrian. You're not alone. That's what happens when you put therapists together. (laughs) All right. Final words of inspiration, you know, about living our best lives, tapping into our true selves or following our intuition? Just live an authentic life. Live life for you as an individual. Don't live somebody else's life because nobody else will be living their life for you. You get out what you put into it. So many metaphors there, but you do. You get out of life what you put into it. Love that. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for being my guest. I thoroughly enjoyed our time together. Thank you, Paul.
We have come to the end of this episode. Thank you to my guest and thank you to you listeners for joining us on this journey. Please remember to rate, review and share this episode or any other episodes. We love you for the attention and it helps others know whether this is all worth a listen. And in the usual knowing me, knowing you fashion, I would like to leave you with these inspirational words and these words were sitting on the wall behind Adrian during our time together. Life is not measured by the breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you.